Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. Today we're diving into fasting. Now, if you remember last week, we we really set the stage for Ash Wednesday and Lent. And one of the things that we will say, uh, in the, or we've said in the liturgy for Ash Wednesday, is in, in the invitation to a Holy Lent, is the is a statement about fasting and prayer and self. Uh, Bryn, correct me here. Go ahead and read that to us uh, before I just totally try to Episcopalian this thing up and, and do it off the top of my head. Um, uh, by We observe a Holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's Holy Word. So two things just happened there. Bryn read the correct quote, and you're reminded that even a priest was going to say self-dedication which I knew that wasn't correct. So a gentle reminder of something we've said along the way, use your prayer book. It's okay to hold the prayer book and I should have mine sitting in front of me right now. But with that being said, I have a couple other things sitting in front of me we're going to get into uh, as we talk about fasting because that's not a new that's not a new practice. It's not a new spiritual discipline in the life of the church and really even in the life of scripture, if we can say that, if we go back to the Old Testament fasting, has been one of those practices that has been important in, in spiritual development, spiritual life. Uh, I'm going to come full circle in a minute around to the desert tradition, which I've quoted before on this show because I love it. Um, and I think Bryn's got some few things. And we're going to tussle a little bit around fasting. So let's dive in. Um, fasting, by, in my opinion, is a way to remove things from your life that prevents you from having a full relationship with God. Now, I will say this this way. Let's use an example. Let's use a 21st century example because I can go back to the, you know, we can all go back to the just food in general. And food is definitely important. And in our current construct, our current society, you hear a lot about dieting and fasting, intermittent fasting, things of that nature. Let me give you an example of what I understand fasting to be. Let's say you are as I have been obsessed with a news app, I tend to read the BBC World News. I have a whole lot of reasons why I do that. Well, in the last six months or so, I've been just getting riled up every time I read that news app. And just, you know, then you kind of get on my self-righteous horse, Bryn, and I assume I have all the answers to the world and I get mad. <laughs> well, that anger can become very consuming. Uh, and that is a problem. So... Even before we've gotten to Lent this year, I had to start fasting from the BBC World News because the reactions that I was having that I had clearly could not control were not in line with what God calls me to do, as I understand it, through study of scripture, through prayer, and through uh, praying the liturgy and participating in the liturgy. I knew that I was being pulled down the road of temptation, which is kind of what the early church folks talk about is fasting is a way to bring us out of temptation and prepare ourselves to fight off temptation. So I had to fast from the BBC World News app. And that's helped. It's helped balance me out some. Now, am I perfect? By no means. By no means. But that is one example as I understand fasting um, and as it relates directly to me. What about you, Bren? I think we have a slightly different take on fasting that we should 
parse out a little bit? Well, I think, first of all, it's important to, to make some distinctions. So fasting means to diminish the use of something, but abstaining means to go without the thing altogether. So if we're going to be technical about it, you can fast from something that you're just reducing the amount of, but if you're abstaining from something, then you're going to go without it altogether. So, you know, with your example of the news app, um, you could fast from it by saying that you're only going to check it once a day instead of, you know, every time you sit down or have a, a pause and that's fasting, but it's not abstaining. If you are going to say, I'm deleting it from my phone altogether, I'm not going to participate in this, I'm not going to use it, then that would be abstaining from using that app. Um, I think what you were, were getting at, whether we're talking about food or whether we're talking about the use of, you know, something else um, like a news app or Facebook, I mean, that's a really common one that people have a kind of, um, you know, maybe tense relationship with and they think, well, this isn't healthy for me. Maybe I can, maybe I can get rid of um, this app for a season. Um, but, you know, the, I think with any of those things that we're talking about, we have to, we really do have to think about what is our motivation for going without that thing and how is it helping us to get closer to God? So if we go back to the desert tradition, if we go back to the early church and its understanding of fasting, then we're going to see that, that fasting um, is ultimately about regaining some mastery over our passions and saying that, you know, we're, we're not going to be carried away by our passions um, and that if we can exercise control over even one of those passions, like our hunger, um, then we're going to rein ourselves in a little bit more, um, which helps to save us from going down down that um, you know road of uh, of perdition, um, of of being carried away by things that are um, demonic. And that is some common elements you get in the uh, in that desert tradition. So Vagaris is solitary um, in his um, <clears throat> text on discrimination in respect of passions and thoughts. And I'll put this in the show notes. Uh, but he has a and it's and, and just bear with me. I'm going to read this quote for our listeners. Um, and again, you can go back and read it. We'll make this readily available to you. Man cannot drive away impassioned thoughts unless he watches over his desire and insensitive power. He destroys desire through fasting, vigils, and sleeping on the ground, and he tames his insensitive power through long-suffering, forbearance, forgiveness, and acts of compassion. For with these two passions are connected almost all the demonic thoughts which lead the intellect to disaster and perdition, as Bryn just said. It is impossible to overcome these passions unless we can rise above attachment to food and possessions, to self-esteem and even to our very body, but it's because it is through the body that the demons often attempt to attack us. It is essential then to imitate people who are in danger at sea and throw things overboard because of the violence of the winds and the threatening waves. And that is exactly essentially what Bryn just said to us is what Evagris is picking up. So in the desert, they knew that there were a lot of things that started with the body. 
uh, started with our desires that can pull us all sorts of directions. Sometimes those directions are bad. Sometimes those directions are good. But in order to really discern and understand it, you have to start eliminating things. And there's, and I want to just touch on tangentially for a second. When you hear that quote from Avegris, you have to remember that even though he was in the desert, that many of the folks in the desert were not actually isolated. So the imitation piece is important because it was community. There were folks to imitate, folks that were deemed further along in their spiritual journey who could, um, who could, be, um, could be modeled. You could model your life after them and then grow deeper. Uh, and that's what Avegris is getting at. So we don't want to, I want to be clear when, when we share, and I'm going to share a few more before this is over, that these folks are not technically living isolated lives. They are in community and they're wrestling with these passions together. Um, and they're trying to learn from one another. But going back to the body, the body can be the thing that pulls us apart, pulls us away from maybe what God considers us, ask us to consider. Um, and I think that's important. So fasting becomes a tool that if we can harness it and really, as Bryn said, uh, attack hunger. I mean, just think for a second. I mean, I don't, I get hangry, right? I get hangry. I'm sure, I, I know Bryn gets hangry. Like, I do not. I've been to clergy conference. I've seen Bryn <laughs> hangry along with other clergy. There's one thing all Episcopal clergy do well is we eat. You know, we yes, can we eat. Um, but all that, all joking aside, is hunger is a very real feeling. Uh, physical hunger is a very real and powerful feeling. And if you truly fast, and not just in terms of a diet, I don't want to offend anybody, but I just want to be honest about that. Not just in terms of a diet, but fast to really create space to control that feeling that is very powerful. The drive for hunger can be very powerful. It can lead to doorways, as Avegrius is getting at. Doorways open for us to be able to tackle other passions that come along our way because that mm. hunger is so powerful um, that take my BBC World News app, it becomes a little bit easier for me to abstain from it or to start to limit it if I can fast in this other way where I get control over this other major feeling. Mm -hmm. I gain some insight and some strength to tackle the BBC World News app or whatever the case may be in my life that's I know is drawing me into some, drawing me into perdition. I like this word perdition. That's a good word. I, yeah, I think, you know, in that quote, he talks about rising above our attachments and, and that's, you know, that's an important thing to think about. Um, what are we attached to that is, that is not facilitating our union with God and with each other? Um, and, and I think that's the first I step, that's right? Important thing. Yeah, that's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I just, you hit a chord there. Uh, I think that's the first, see this, I think we don't, I don't, I know you and I are on the same page with this. I actually feel like in order to truly fast well, you have to do some discernment work. You know, we can mm -hmm. talk about hunger, but you got to start being honest about some initial things that you know are keeping you away, that are, that are drawing you away from union with God. And then you can start to lay out a, in my opinion, during Lent, start to lay out a, a proper fast, if you will, 
um, to, to help start to attack, to, to remove those uh, from your life, to start tackling those. In my mind, the first step is you have to kind of identify some a couple things that you know. Because most of us, if we sit down for a minute, I think, have some sense of, okay, that's pulling me away from union with God. And then you start to think about, okay, how can I might remove this? How might I fast from this um, by way of growing closer to God? Does that make sense? Kind of. Hope so. Yeah. But I think, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, lay it out there. Go ahead. No, I was just going to to take a few steps back because... I don't know if everybody really, if if everybody's ears perked up when they heard that quote, like mine did the first time I, I read the quote, where he talks about destroying desire through fasting vigils and sleeping on the ground. I don't know if you all had the same thought that I did, but I was like, if I'm going to sleep on the ground, everything's going down the toilet. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've got no hope of uh, being able to fast, keep vigil or tame any other, uh, any other of my, uh, you know, vices. Um, if I have to sleep on the ground, I'm definitely, um, willing to give up a lot of things, but I'm going to sleep in my bed. Well, and I think that's okay in our, con in our, in our kind of <laughs> modern society. Uh, of course they were in the desert, they were in huts and, uh, sleeping on the ground was a pretty normal thing to do. But yes, right. if that hits your ears the, pretty heavy, you know. I think it, the, maybe back then the ground and the bed weren't actually so far apart in their comfort levels, but uh, but what they I are guess, now. Now that we've got memory foam. Yeah, and I guess I should say that sleeping on the ground for them still would have been a big change because a lot of times you'd have straw, you'd have uh, some type yeah. of what quote unquote bedding, maybe not Tempur-Pedic, but uh, you might have something. So to literally sleep on the ground was to remove even those comforts they had in their time and place. I know. And that's rough. I just, that I can wrap my mind around all sorts of giving things up, but that one, I don't think I can do that. Maybe when I'm further along in my spiritual journey, maybe when I'm more like you, Justin, I will be able to go without my memory foam for a season. Well, I'm going to live in sin and just take that. I'm not humbly at all, pridefully, really. And now I'll have to go fast from that. Like, But let me, to bring us back, I, I, want, I want to make a connection. And then I think Shmaimon has some things to say about this yeah. too that are really important. Um, notice when I read that quote, and again, when you see the quote in the show notes, um, and this is true in the desert tradition, there's, there's three things, a combination of three or four things that are always yoked together when these early church writers talk about this, these contemplative-minded folks. Fasting, comma, vigils, comma, sleeping on the ground, and usually some kind of idea of prayer. Some combination of all of those are always in sync with each other when they talk about fasting. And that is because they go hand in hand. In some ways, uh, and usually fasting is always first in their writings. It's not vigils. Mm -hmm. It's not prayer. It's not. It's fasting. And for many of them, they mean literal fasting from food, literal hunger um, for a period of time. And that creates space in that, in that time of dealing with the hunger, the, the physical feeling of hunger. You create space for vigils, prayers, 
sleeping on the ground, things be start to take on form. You start to remove those quote unquote creature comforts and uh, you start to create space to really intentionally attach with attach to God, uh, which is not, I mean, th- there's nothing easy. It's not, I want to be clear. And I think we've, I think we've kind of touched on this, but let me just say it bluntly. It is not like a has said today, I'm going to be hungry for the next 20 days. And I'm just going to magically start praying. It was, it is the ordeal that they describe it to be. I mean, it is uh-huh. the constant struggle of making choices and practicing these behaviors, these, uh, these uh, modifications in their life to help them remove things that they know are pulling them away from union with God. But it wasn't like they just hit a switch and said, Hey, I'm going to be hungry for a while and I'm going to pray a little bit and I'm going to sleep on the ground. Cause that, got my nice rock over here not at all these were trials for them i mean it was it was work it was contemplative spiritual and physical work to do these things yeah i am so glad that you pointed that out and to and to put the put fasting in the context of other spiritual disciplines because i i certainly you know growing up in the church we always you know at at lent um, you know, had this sort of like perfunctory giving up of something. And it was often something kind of trivial, um, like giving up chocolate. My mom always joked that she would give up watermelon. That was back in the days where you couldn't get watermelon like all year round. So it was pretty easy to give up during uh, February and March since it was not in season anywhere. Um, but you know, we, it was a kind of, you know, you just gave something up because you were supposed to give something up and, and it was never really connected with anything else. Maybe sometimes we talked about how we imitate Jesus, um, who, you know, fasted in the desert for 40 days. Um, and we talk about, you know, our own fast in the desert, but I think we have to be sort of honest with ourselves that giving up chocolate, which we maybe eat a couple times a week, or maybe even if you eat it, you know, some chocolate every day, but giving that up is, is not probably a very intense spiritual discipline. Um, But regardless, um, if, if fasting is the only thing that you do to mark a difference in the season of Lent, then you're missing the opportunity to to be, you know, growing deeper by forming a network of spiritual practices that help us to um, open our open ourselves to God um, more and more fully. And part of you know part of opening ourselves to God means. Um, paying some attention to those things that are pulling us away from God. Uh, and so I, I do want to, I do want to read this Alexander Schmemann quote. So Alexander Schmemann um, was a, a theologian, an Orthodox theologian um, who did most of his writing, I guess, in the sixties and seventies. And he has since passed, but he says this, <clears throat> ultimately to fast means only one thing to be hungry, to go to the limit of that human condition which depends entirely on food and being hungry, to discover that this dependency is not the whole truth about man, that hunger itself is first of all a spiritual state, and that it is in its last reality, hunger for God. And so, you know, I think 
like you were talking about um, earlier and what, what we've talked about before, um, creating that state of hunger um, is, is an important practice because it, it reminds us of what, what are we hungry for? Are we really just, are we really just hangry and we need a Snickers bar? I think Alexander Shmaimon would say, no, actually our deepest hunger is, uh, is for union with God. Um, but we are so satiated all of the time that we live such, um, sort of comfortable lives, even when we're not comfortable, we're living fairly comfortable lives um, in terms of not having to think about our reliance on God all of the time. And so when we when we practice hunger, um, then we have an opportunity to, to think about our reliance on God. Now, I want to say one thing too, because um, I know that this impacts people um, in all sorts of different ways. Um, we have we have a lot of disordered eating in our culture, in our society. Um, whether that is you know overeating, um, snacking on unhealthy foods, you know more than we should, or undereating. And I think this is where I, it's really appropriate for the church to be um, careful and cautious in telling people to fast. Um, because if you have experienced an eating disorder where you have denied yourself food um, and uh, and that has been an issue of control or it has been, you know, some other kind of, um, uh, you know, related to some other deeper wound for you, then fasting maybe needs to look different than giving up food. Um, so I think, you know, we we're talking a lot about fasting from food, but you should you should know yourself and be sensitive um, to what is appropriate for you. So uh, to any listener out there who has who has suffered from an eating disorder um, or just disordered eating around food, be really careful um, and know that like there is not a perfect way to fast. Um, and that you still have to do what's right for you, um, as, as that is still an essential piece in your relationship to God. And I think, um, I think by way of even more comfortable words around that, which I appreciate that many of us know somebody who's been affected by either type of eating a disorder, overeating or mm -hmm. undereating, and it's various forms, um, Maximus the Confessor. A little bit later than Evagrius, so actually much later than Evagrius, uh, in the same volume of work, which I didn't say at the beginning, but this, all these, these two quotes are contained in a volume called the Philokalia. It's for, uh, or a work called the Philokalia. It's made up of four volumes. And Maximus owns the second volume, pretty much. And he is a great spiritual leader. But by way of making a point about how this can actually go the other way, um, to, 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 I think, hopefully provide some comfort. Uh, Maximus says this, many human activities, good in themselves, are not good because of the motive for which they are done. For example, fasting and vigils, prayer and psalmody, acts of charity and hospitality are by nature good, but when performed for the sake of self-esteem, they are not good. And Maximus will go and flush that out even more. And, you know, the, the idea behind the fasting is, I think Maximus would say, for example, if you're struggling from any kind of eating disorder, 
we need to figure that out. This isn't what we're talking about here. We're not going to just tell you to do this because it's the mm-hmm. magic fix. That's not what I, don't, I think all the all the desert fathers, including Avegris, would say. Nah, that's not what we're talking about here. We got to sort through that physiological um, issue and uh, and work through it together. You know, that's the big thing. Going back to the community piece, like we need to come around our folks who are suffering in our communities and struggling and and walk with them. Where they're coming to play, what Maximus will talk about, he'll kind of depart a little bit from Avegris in that he doesn't limit his fasting, uh, especially in this particular section of his writing, which is his centuries on love. He will not limit his fasting to food only. He will talk about all sorts of things. This is just a window into some of that. Things that pull us away. Um, and Maximus is one of the few who has the courage to say to even his fellow brothers and sisters who are deeply spiritual, Sometimes we overdo spirituality to a point that's problematic. That mm-hmm. you know, the big thing for Maximus is finding balance. And when you participate in vigils and fasting, uh, prayer, worship, as Maximus will talk about, you you, you start to find that balance. Um, and I think that's really important. We're all struggling, I think, at times to find balance. And I was going to go back to a comment you made. If I if I can bring us back for just a second, that. To some degree, we're we're content in what we have uh, because we have so much. You know, we fulfill our needs so readily in our kind of time and space. But you know, as a clergy person, and I know this in my own life, sometimes I look around and I feel like I have all this stuff, but it's empty. Sometimes it's empty because there's something missing. And I think these spiritual disciplines, particularly fasting in Lent, and that even if if even if the only step you make this Lent, if, if the only step you make is to start looking at your life and acknowledging certain things you know are just not right, if that's as far as you get, that's a step closer uh, yeah. to where we were hoping we can get to. Because I think and it's I think there that you realize the emptiness. You start to identify that I do have these things, but there's something missing. And then you start yeah. to think about how do I get that back? What's that that's missing? Go ahead, Brent. Yeah. Sorry. No, I think I was just going to tag on to that. Um, I think, you know, I think what Alexander Schmemann is saying about hunger is, is a tool in that regard, paying attention to like, what are we hungry for? Where is our hunger? Um, and really just even asking that question during Lent, what are we hungry for? Well, sometimes we don't know what we're hungry for when we're feeding ourselves all the time, whether it's, you know, when we're consuming all the time. We can think about all of the things that we consume. It's not just food, um, but entertainment, um, you know, news, um, you know, right now our social uh, consumption is still way down. (laughs) So that may not apply to us uh, this year, but it may be in years past, um, do we distract ourselves by, um, by always looking for social activities? Do we, you know, where, where are we trying to satisfy our hunger? Where is that hunger really? And, you know, and so what, uh, what Shmaimon is saying is our hunger always ultimately is for God. So how is that pointing us to God? How are we filling that hunger with something that isn't God. Um, that can be, you know, like we like we started out at the at the top of the podcast. You know, in Lent we're going to be invited to self examination and repentance. That is part of that self examination um, of 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 asking that question. Um, 
And then I wanted to, I wanted to tell this story that I heard, um, and I can't remember who it was about. I'm, I'm tempted to say it was about Thomas Merton, um, but that might not be right. Um, but at, at any rate, um, this is a story about a monk who lived in a, in a monastery with other monks, um, with, with their brothers and the, um, and this monk's, um, the abbot of the of the monastery, so the sort of like spiritual leader um, and director of the monastery, um, said that for for this monk's spiritual practice during Lent, he was you know he he verged on that um, you know using practices for self esteem, like you talked about, Justin, um, like you pointed out. Sometimes our disciplines we can be like so good at our discipline that we become kind of self righteous about it. Um, that's, you know, that's the other side of this, you know, that's like for the pendulum to swing too far in the other direction. So this particular monk was, uh, you know, was maybe more, um, susceptible to those feelings of, of self-righteousness and to, to fasting and all of those disciplines, um, so, so, um, rigidly. And so the spiritual discipline that, that, the abbot gave to this monk was that he had to sit in the refectory. So the refectory is where everybody eats their, their meals. Um, he had to sit in the refectory and eat a chocolate bar with a glass of milk every day. And that was his spiritual discipline. Um, you know, so he had to, it had to be public, like in front of all of the other brothers, he couldn't, you know, just like he was, being so disciplined and so perfect as a way of, you know, um, displaying that to others. He now had to, had to, you know, um, engage in this other discipline, a discipline that was given to him by his superior um, and this discipline of enjoyment actually. Um, so I think there's, I just like that story because for some of us, um, I certainly at times have erred on the side of of kind of self-righteous discipline. Like I'm nailing it. I'm 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 winning at this at this self-denial. I'm winning at this fasting. Um, and there might be some times where that is also preventing us from being in full relationship with God because we are still satisfying ourselves. That's you know being self-satisfied means we are satisfying ourselves instead of looking for our satisfaction in God. I think that's, I think that's beautiful. I think that's a good, I think that's a good, I think it's a good point for us to stop. Um, yeah. I think we've kind of tackled fasting in a pretty robust way. And that's a great image to end on because you kind of, we kind of laid out both sides of it, kind of the introduction, fasting's existed. And then we move through it to what happens on the other side. And I think the only thing I'd add to that is, is we probably remember in the gospel on Ash Wednesday, even in the gospel, beware of practicing your piety before others. Um, you know, it's not, this is not about a, who's more spiritual than who, or who's more disciplined than who. It's simply, as I think Evagrius and Maximus talk about it, it is about our relationship with God. And we lean on each other, not stand above each other, but lean on each other for support in this work that we do during the season of Lent. So uh, hopefully you'll be able to do that with us, uh, either if you're here in Austin, Texas, with us at our churches, um, or if you're around the country, that you'll find a community, some supporters, some people journeying with you that can, can walk with you 
as you venture into fasting, maybe for the first time, maybe this is not the first time. Uh, and maybe we've given you some different things to think about um, as you enter into this behavior. So I, mean, I was excited to share all that. And, I, and again, as I like to say, we're always available. Please reach out. Our emails are in the show notes. These quotes will be in the show notes. Uh, and I'll actually have a link to the Philokali. There's a PDF version of that on the internet so that you can see the whole thing. Um, and we'll have that uh, available to you. So, Brenda, I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, yeah, gonna... I think that I want to just say a, a final reminder, um, just to make the point really clear, though, that fasting is should never be practiced alone. Um, so, you know, even if this is the first time that you're thinking about fasting, um, do think about it in the context of, of other spiritual disciplines that support relationship with God. So like our prayer book says, um, you know, self-examination and repentance, prayer, fasting, self-denial by reading and meditating on God's holy word. Um, so, you know, those are all those are all spiritual practices that support one another. So fasting should never be practiced in a vacuum as the only thing that you're doing. Um, and is traditionally practiced at least with um, with prayer and almsgiving. Um, and yeah, if anybody needs help kind of formulating their spiritual practices for this season of Lent, please do reach out to us. We'd be happy to, um, you know, help you uh, as you discern what's right for you. I agree. I agree. And I don't want to be funny, but you know, I always have to end on a humorous note. As soon as we get done with this recording, I'm going to go have lunch. <laughs> no, well, I am going to do that. But uh, everything we said, um, and, and again, I'm not going to keep beating this either, but we're here. So reach out to us. Let us know how we can help you. Yep. Until next week, uh, venture into fasting and let us know how it's going. We'd love to hear from you. Lit is a production of the Reverend Bryn Bond and Justin Yon, Episcopal priests in Austin, Texas. Music is provided by Alitu. We encourage you and invite you to send your questions to us via the emails you'll find in the show notes below. We will ask, uh, answer them on air at a future date, and we so appreciate your listenership. Mm-hmm.